You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you can get podcasts. Introducing Under Armour's Infinity High Sports Bra. Its ergonomic design is molded to support the natural movement of your body. With cord-out padding, the better breathability eliminates extra bulk without sacrificing support. And quick-dry padding is Under Armour's fastest-drying padding yet. When you're lifting heavy, running fast, and pushing yourself further than ever before, you need a bra that will help you go that extra mile and make you feel your best. Shop the Infinity High Sports Bra now at UA.com. This is a podcast from Minute Media. This is the Yanks Go Yard Podcast with Adam Weinrib and Thomas Carinante. Welcome to yet another lockout edition of the Yanks Go Yard Podcast. I'm Adam Weinrib alongside Thomas Carinante and Kevin Durant. Do you regret not coming to the Knicks after they got Cam Reddish this morning? Pretty sick day rocking the non-Yankee hat. Again, uh, we, we've been doing Giants. We've been doing Knicks this week. That's what happens during the MLB lockout. It's a Yankees podcast, but folks, you don't you don't need us to tell you the New York Yankees aren't doing anything. So we're going to take this podcast in a bit more specified of a direction. We're going to be talking about the latest in the Seiya Suzuki rumors, as well as paying tribute to John Lester, an adversary forever, who was a pretty good dude and also kicked our ass for a number of years. But at the end of the pod, we're going to be counting down the five worst contracts in modern Yankees history. So if you agree, if you disagree, sound off in the comments. We would love to hear from you on what failures have shaped your recent Yankees fandom. Make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a five-star review along with the mailbag question. We'll be more than happy to answer it. The mailbag questions in the comments, that's a pretty good place to leave your yeah. thoughts on the worst contracts. I'm not trying to do your fan job for you, but just that's, you know, that's a good, that's a good spot for those to be. Or the YouTube comments. Because we're streaming live right now, and we're streaming live at 2 o'clock Eastern every Monday and Thursday. So again, you know where to find us. Thomas Carinante, when the Knicks win the title this year, will Cam Reddish be the second or third person to touch the Larry O'Brien trophy? <laughs> what a wild trip out of nowhere. And guess what, guys? If you are a Knicks fan, um, I hope most of the people in here are. Uh, this means I don't think the Knicks are done making trades. If they're making a move like this a month before the trade deadline, I think there are some more transactions in their future. They're planning some stuff. Um, this is a great depth move for them. I know Reddish hasn't exactly panned out as what many expected him to be. But, hey, Knicks got rid of a couple players they didn't need. Kevin Knox, goodbye. Now we get to see what Reddish can do with his former uh, Duke teammate, R.J. Barrett. And then when Zion comes, we got, the, we got the boys back together. So, look at that. They're just laying the foundation for the next two or three years when we actually make the big move to uh, – to jump into true contendership. Yeah, although um, I will say that I agree with you, but I will also say there's a photo of me with Chris Stapps Porzingis and Jerry and Grant in 2016 <laughs> captioned 2021 NBA champs. So nice. I do just want to let it be known that that didn't happen. And I think one of those people was not on the roster beyond 2017. So look, <laughs> it's happened before. It'll happen again. But uh, pretty sick move this morning by the New York Knicks. Um Let's talk right off the top about John Lester 
because um, I want to get that tribute out before we move on to uh, the worst mm-hmm. contracts ever. Let's talk about one of the best contracts ever. Pretty indisputably great. Uh, and so no Yankee fan tribute to John Lester is complete without thanking him very much for uh, hearing what the Red Sox had to say when he was approaching free agency and saying, that is a rude offer to me who I am an icon to your franchise. I will not play for your team for the amount of money and the amount of years that you were offering. And the Red Sox never countered. And so John Lester moved on after being traded to the A's midseason, signaled to the Chicago Cubs he was ready to come. He accepted an offer that, you know, basically doubled up the Red Sox proposed contract. Completely ridiculous. 2014-15 offseason. So we're talking about after the 2013 World Series when he basically everybody talks about David Ortiz in that World Series and rightfully so because I think he hit 570. But Lester went 2 and 0 with an 069 ERA yeah. and then the very next winter they were just like, "Hey, thanks so much, man. That's awesome. I'm so glad that you did that." But, you know, <laughs> uh two two years it's like what, 4 years, 70 million they offered. That's what they said. That's what the report said. Yeah. yeah. So he went to the Cubs, he signaled a new era and I can't imagine I mean, that 2016 title does not happen without John Lester. That is not an exaggeration. A lot of us foresaw more titles for that Cubs core than what actually occurred. But the the 108-year curse is not broken without a lot of people. Chris Bryant, Rizzo, Epstein, etc. But John Lester is pretty close to the top of that mountain there, especially because of what he signaled when he told the Red Sox to go away. Yeah, uh, and that's why, if we're going to talk about it and be candid, I think you think John Lester's a Hall of Famer Absolutely. when it comes down to it. Yeah. Um, I, what we, you know, people might disagree. I don't know what the writers are going to do. Uh, good news is that he's a Red Sox, and Red Sox are typically revered um, in the writers' eyes, so that could help him. Um, but you look at his numbers, and you're like, oh, is this guy a Hall of Famer? No Cy Youngs. Mm-hmm. And so often we're here looking at individual accolades. We're looking at war. Oh, does this define a player's career? Uh, no. I mean, yeah, but No. It's not it's it's not the tell all. Uh, again, we will say it once more. Hall of Famers should be players who are so intrinsic to the game that you cannot talk about a 10, 15, 20 year period by if you're excluding their name. John Lester, you cannot do that for me growing up being tortured. It was John Lester and David Ortiz. Um, and I was never, never uh, happy to face John Lester in any game. Um, I know his numbers don't look that great against the Yankees, but I think it was like a three, six something um, mm-hmm. against uh, against the Yankees. And oh no, I got it right here. Hang on, thirteen and six with a three six eight ERA, one hundred eighty one strikeouts in one hundred eighty one innings. Um, that he had winning records against every team in the AL East. Um, I think his legacy is cemented as, you know, one of the one of the best pitchers of this generation solely because of what he was able to do. You have to you have to account for other things in 2006 it was, I believe, yep. diagnosed with cancer, end of the year, cancer free, comes back 2007, they sweep the Rockies in the uh in the World Series and guess who pitches the sweeping game? John Lester with a scoreless outing and that was his that was his. Be- that was the beginning of his legendary run. He he ended up dominating throughout the postseason, um, throughout his entire career. Uh, a two point five one ERA, one point zero two WHIP, and one hundred and thirty three strikeouts in total. One hundred fifty four innings of work, which translated to twenty six games and twenty two starts. World Series record four and one with a one point seven seven ERA in six games. Five of those are starts. Won three titles. I don't know how you exclude someone like that. That person literally defined an era of baseball, um, helped the Red Sox for, I know that he didn't break the Red Sox curse, but got them, you know, he got them to kind of create a dynasty of their own. If we're going to be honest about it. And then Cubs breaking the 108 year curse. It's not done without John Lester. It really is not that team needed the gumption. It needed the postseason experience and that type of leadership. He provided all that. Theo Epstein knew what he was doing. Um, I like John Lester as a fellow lefty. Um, I always respect my lefties and love my lefties. Um, I uh, I didn't like facing him, but I loved watching him. I loved his pitching style. Um, and best luck to him in retirement. Um, I'm glad his career actually didn't end that badly. I think his 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 stint with the Cardinals at the end there, the Nats, it was not looking great, and then the Cardinals mm-hmm. it petered off a little bit, and it was nice. Um, and I think I thought he had a, a year or two left in him. He wants to hang it up now. Good for him. He's done everything he could. Admirable career. 
Yeah, I think he knew what he was doing. I, th- I think he did get out before it got real bad uh, for him because the, the early season with the Nationals kind of looked like he was totally yeah. cooked. Uh, came back with the Cardinals, ha- had a couple of good starts to end his career, didn't participate in the postseason, but, you know, was on the roster, um, you know, hung out in the dugout. One more postseason run, Wino, Yachty, you know, n- nothing, yeah. nothing to really argue about there. Um, and again, him spurning the Red Sox after 2014, uh, really impressive to me, always has been. You know, he's a, he's a guy who's all about loyalty. I thought he would have so much loyalty to the city of Boston that he was going to get lowballed there and, and sort of shoot his career in the foot. Yeah. Uh, glad that he did not. He, he's, he, you know, good man. Bought beers for the city of Chicago on his way out. Uh, opened tabs at a bunch of 4,400 beers. Yeah, 4,400 five, lights. Lights. five Bud Lights on me. <laughs> uh, very cool, dude. Um, and those early years, like the 07, 08, 09, John Lester against the Yankees, yeah. you could just phone it in. There's no mm-hmm. point. Um, he would, you know, it, it would definitely make baseball feel pointless. It was like he had a couple mm-hmm. eight inning shutout, like 12 or 13 K outings at Yankee Stadium. I think it was summer 08 and summer 09, where it was just like, why, why did we show up? Like the, yeah. it, it was him and King Felix. It was like the, the why did we show up games? It's like <laughs> going to be two hours, 20 minutes long. We're not going to score. <laughs> um, and it's, we're not going to get guys on base. There's just no yeah. point. Uh, yeah, he was too good. So that low ball. Yeah. I mean, I got to comment on that one. That low ball is just mm-hmm. that's why that's why the Red Sox pissed me off because they low balled. I mean, you know, they offered. I think the reported deal for Mookie was like a shade under three hundred million. Um, another guy who just wins an MVP, steamrolls through the season for you, helps you win a World Series. Um, and then I, I just don't understand how you're going to offer John Lester that after. You know, you got to you got to embrace the narrative here. He kind of embodied the city of Boston, beat cancer, comes back, wins two World Series, intrinsic to the identity and the personality of that team. And then I I just I can't that that, that's that's why Red Sox fans, you shouldn't be as gung ho about your franchise as you are, because every team uh, at the end of the day, you're not siding with the billionaires you're siding with the players. No reason to defend not paying those two guys, especially John Lester, in my opinion. Um, I think that deserves more criticism in, you know, the greater lens of this conversation. And so I just hate when it works, though. They traded, yeah, him, for, yeah. they traded him for Cespedes, traded Cespedes for Rick Porcello, and then by 2016, they're winning the AL East again. In 2018, they have 108 wins in the World Series. So um, th- that's that's the part that makes me mad every time I think about the Red Sox. Not paying John Lester should have doomed them for like a decade. And they yeah. are, I mean, they've already got a ring in there. So yep. uh, fuck you. Um, but, uh, <laughs> so moving on, uh, you know, John Lester, the battling cancer does remind me of, of, you know, that's an extremely unique challenge, uh, that most athletes don't face that kind of challenge, but there's plenty going on under the hood that most of us are not aware of. And that's why the players tribune launched its first ever mental health podcast blindside. The hosts are former NHL goalie, Corey Hirsch and psychiatrist, Dr. Diane McIntosh. The goal of the show is to share the moments for a variety of athletes where everything changed for them and mental health suddenly became the most important focus of their lives. It allows listeners to have an understanding of the different types of mental health challenges people face, from breakdowns and insecurity to panic attacks, PTSD, addiction, and other sudden life changes that require an athlete to toss aside their well-laid plans and answer the question, what is your next play? Blindsided is a podcast about sports, mental health, and life for everyone. Guests this season include Kevin Love, Paul Bissonette, and Kurt Warner. That is the Players Tribune's first ever mental health podcast, Blindsided, hosted by former NHL goalie Corey Hirsch and psychiatrist Dr. Diane McIntosh. Get it now wherever podcasts are downloaded. Now let's talk about uh, the lead. You know, we we know the smallest amount of information about the baseball world right now. So I got a quick update, though. Oh, please go ahead. Yeah, Jeff Passan just tweeted. Baseball labor update. There is no deal. There never was going to be one today. MLB made a proposal. The reaction among the players was not positive. Few on the other side expected it to be. The question is how soon the MLBPA counters. Spring training starting on time is in peril. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my. Wait, no. They're not going to. Spring training is not going to start in a month. After they didn't talk for a month and a half and then just yeah. exchanged their first proposals. Today. I mean, now it's just depressing actually hearing that from Jeff Passan. So I know we've all assumed it for however long it's been, but now you're getting it from arguably the most esteemed insider of baseball. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't, it doesn't feel good for me. No, no baseball. Um, so while we're still sitting in the no baseballs on the, the quickest of updates on say Suzuki, <laughs> one of very few free agents who's being talked about by the mainstream media right now, because 
he's in Japan because <laughs> he's yeah. he's not a major league baseball player, so they have sort of access to him. They're doing these tell-alls. Uh, Suzuki uh, followed and unfollowed the Red Sox on Instagram. Red Sox fans seem to think they've got that in the bag. I'm accepting that he will be a Red Sox just because that's what I want to do mentally before the se- before it actually happens. I want that in my head. Same reason I anticipated the Red Sox winning the World Series last year. So when they didn't, it was a huge weight off my back. Suzuki is not in the same category to me as taking a World Series ring off the Red Sox hands. But that being said, power hitting outfielder, I don't want him there if I don't have to have him there. He went on Koji Uehara's podcast. Koji was like, you're a Red Sox, right? And he was like, <laughs> he wouldn't say anything. But the fact that Koji was asking the question was almost more indicative to me of the situation than the fact that he wouldn't answer it. Like, it, Koji knows what he's doing. He's a Red Sox legend, but also he felt free to ask that question because I think there probably is something floating around indicating they certainly have mutual interest. Uh, so he he talked to Andrew Baggerly of The Athletic uh, this week, and when Baggerly sort of asked him about uh, two two tidbits from this, when Baggerly asked him about you know what major league teams are pursuing him, he got this. He got he went tight lipped. He closed his lips with his fingers, refused to comment whatsoever. So it's not like he even betrayed a hint of something there. He literally just refused to comment. And the second thing is we now know a lot of teams are in the bidding, but the Yankees are among them. Uh, Baggerly confirmed. Yep. He took a number of Zoom meetings prior to the lockdown, <laughs> lockout, shutdown, nonsense. It's a, uh, it's a lockdown. Apparently there were, you know, Japanese representatives, manager, hitting coach in most of these meetings. Uh, the Mariners are involved. The Angels are involved. Mike Trout is his idol. Billy Epler obviously signed Shohei Otani is with the Mets now. There are a million options on the table. Uh, he he's interested in the Dodgers. They're involved. The Padres are involved. It's not just Boston. <clears throat> I think that what you need to conclude is it's not just Boston. It's not over as much as you might want to convince yourself of that just to make the transition easier. And the Yankees are pursuing it, whether they close the deal or not. It still seems unlikely that they would move Joey Gallo to center field, move Suzuki to left, even for 120 games, just because they don't seem willing to do the obvious solution to move Gallo to center. But they made the call. They did. Uh, where's Masahiro Tanaka? Can we get him in this guy's ear? Just it's not collusion at that point. He's in. He's playing in no, Japan too. He's just the guy. He's tell just how, guy. Yeah, tell him how great it is playing for the Yankees. Uh, I'm I'm a Suzuki guy. Um, I like his makeup. I like how he would fit with this team. Um, I, I do agree with you. I think Gallo needs to be playing some center field. I think Giancarlo Santon needs to be in left for anywhere between sixty and eighty five games. Um, I like the versatility that Suzuki may have. I understand there's a transition from Japan to MLB, um, but you're looking at his price range right now and the posting fee, and you I don't know if there's anything uh, that, A, you're going to get more cost-effective, um, or B, get like better than you know the, the lower-tier guys that we're looking at. Um, and uh, other, the other available guys on the market who are big and you would want are right fielders, and Aaron Judge plays right field, so that's not happening. Um, I, I'm encouraged that the Yankees are still involved. Um, Ken Davidoff in his recent, uh, New York post subscribers plus piece believes that the Yankees will end, end up with Suzuki. This was his updated one. We talked about this last podcast. Uh, he also included Trevor story and Anthony Rizzo in there. I think that's a weird mishmash of players, mm. but Hey, I'm not against it. It could happen. Um, I, I do like the leg work they're doing. It does worry me, however, that that many West Coast teams are involved because we know the history with Japanese players. Just much easier to go to the West Coast. You're that much closer to home. Um, going all the way to the East Coast is you know, double the time, and then you have, uh, you know, a, it's a completely different culture over here. Um, so Mariners, Padres, Angels, and uh, Dodgers in on there kind of worries me a little bit, especially because all those teams are, uh, Dodgers and Giants contenders, Mariners, um, Mariners c- could be a contender next year. They were really good last year I, uh, for for what they put on the field, and they made acquisitions this offseason. Padres, obviously good. Um, and then you have Angels with Shohei Itani connection, and he loves Mike Trout. So um, I think this will be inevitably tough for the Yankees um, to swing it, especially because how badly they miss on Otani. Um, that's still, that's, it's still kind of shocking to me. The whiffiest whiff of all time. It was like, that was terrible. Um, and, and maybe he didn't like the Yankees. Maybe he didn't want to play here. I don't know. I, I mean, I guess that's what it was, but like to think to, for so many in- reports, Oh, the Yankees are, you know, front runners for Otani. It's going to happen. And then goes to the angels and you're like, what is going on? Um, so, uh, I like that they're involved. I'm not entirely confident they'll get him, but if they do, it'll be a nice, pleasant surprise. And we'll have some more versatility in the outfield. Um, will help us out in the long run, I think, uh, especially if we have 
Hicks popping in there to and fro, Ender and Ciarte, whatever is going to work out. And then when Brett Gardner comes back at the end of February, yeah, we'll have, we'll have the whole band together. End of June. Yeah, you just never know. <laughs> um, Otani saying absolutely not to the Yankees is still one of the craziest things yeah. that's ever happened. Um, just being the, fav- the Yankees being the favorites to sign him, then him saying, I will actually go to any other team was very <laughs> jarring. Um, so you got to keep that in the back of your mind when it comes to Suzuki. But – the Otani contract didn't look so good for the first year or no, two or didn't. maybe even three. So if he had been a Yankee, perhaps he would have ended up on a list of the worst contracts in modern Yankees history. Maybe not. Oh, probably yeah. not because he won the MVP last year. Yeah. And he pitches oh, and he yeah. hits and he, you know, kind of seems valuable. And uh, all of this is residual from when he just absolutely spurned us at the altar for whatever reason. But we have compiled a list of the five worst contracts in modern Yankees history. We went five. We stopped at five. Uh, could we have gone larger than five? Absolutely. That people in the in the chat are are asking us how we kept it to only five. Um, <laughs> the answer is we're just, we're just being judicious, but also um, spoiler alert: no John Carlos Stanton on this list. I don't think no, uh, unless no. you and, and no Garrett Cole on this list because uh, you know neither of those should have precluded the Yankees from doing anything. The Stanton contract is now cheaper than Javier Baez, and Garrett Cole is an ace. So who cares? Um, yeah. the Yankees have Yankee money. The problem is that they didn't sign anybody in addition to Garrett Cole. Not that they overpaid slightly for Garrett Cole. Moving on. Uh, my worst contracts in modern Yankees history. I think it can only start in one place for me. Uh, and but obviously once we get to the top of the list, it's easy because you know, who's down there. It's harder to nail down the number five spot. I went with Jarrett Wright because, uh, it came at a time after 2004 when, uh, the Yankees had all the need in the world for pitching. They looked at Jarrett Wright, who owned them in 1997 in the playoffs, seven years prior, which is definitely part of the reason why they were like, yeah, this is the guy. He used to throw high 90s. He absolutely did not throw high 90s by the time they signed him. He was coming off a year where he was decent for the Braves, low three ERA, like 15 and nine, didn't strike out anyone, like 80 and 140 innings, got bombed by the two playoffs. He's looked at him as part of the solution. Lucian, after blowing the O for ALCS, brought him back the next year. Six ER, three-year, $21 million contract. Six ERA. That And basically never, he didn't make it to year three. Spoiler alert. He went no. to the Baltimore Orioles, traded for absolute scraps and spare parts. Um, and he, he barely pitched with a shoulder injury in either 05 or 06. An utterly useless signing. And he definitely makes the top five for me because he did make a playoff start against the Tigers in that 2006 ALDS when the Yankees were at their absolute wits end, had the worst pitching they'd ever have, basically. One game, one of that series, blue game two, went to Detroit. Kenny Rogers destroyed them. A-Rod batted eighth. That playoff series was my personal low point, other than the obvious. 4 was worse. 4 was worse than anything. But 6 was definitely the most defeated I've ever felt in a playoff series. Just no solutions here, and Jarrett Wright was a huge part of that. How was the pitching that bad? I just, I don't get it. Well, there's I another really guy understand. on this list who was a Oh, player. I know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. That is true. Jarrett Wright, um, yeah, I remember him being bad. I don't remember. We were young, man. I didn't pay attention to contracts when I was when I was that young. I was just like, yeah, just get like cool people and make it happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing I remember about Jarrett Wright, props to him, he packed fat dips. So uh, mm-hmm. he was constantly buzzed on the mound. So maybe that actually factored into his his poor performance when you're that buzzed it's kind of hard to throw it over the plate and get up get your velocity that high um but yeah i don't have much to say on Jarrett Wright. i remember it not being good um now that we've talked about the you know the uh the ramifications of the contract frustrating how um once again doesn't doesn't work out these deals always seem weird they don't work out um and then it makes the yankees look dumb for no reason i don't yeah, want to look think- dumb I don't think I remembered the numbers in Atlanta being that good the year before. Like I probably would have endorsed signing Jarrett right Mm -hmm. at this point, but it obviously didn't work. And again, we will get to somebody else from this free agent uh, further. And and that's when I'm really going to go off Jarrett, right? I couldn't care less about the second guy. I've I've got uh, feelings Uh, in my number four spot, obviously controversial. I had DJ LeMayhew. Um, And that is not, it's not really even a judgment on DJ LeMayhew. It's just, no, uh, I think anybody by default who between year one and year two of a five-year $90 million contract is not a starter, you've earned a space in the five worst contracts in modern Yankees history list. Some would put Stanton here. Some would put Cole here. I would disagree with those mm-hmm. people 
LeMahieu took a much bigger step back than either of those two people. And again, they they intend on starting Gleyber Torres, and they intend on getting a shortstop, and they intend on using Gio Urshela. DJ LeMahieu made soft contact last year, hit ground balls instead of line drives and fly balls through the air, and isn't going to start 150 games this year. He doesn't have a position right now. Yeah. So if you've lost your position between year one and two, that's how you end up at number four on my list. I have hope for DJ LeMahieu. I have hope that the yeah. hernia surgery turns it around a little bit. I loved him. He's a team MVP in 19 and 20. As far as I'm concerned, you make the argument yeah. for Garrett Cole in 20, but certainly in 19. Um, and he was really not good last year at all. And it was less due to the exit velocity than it was due to just hitting the ball on the ground constantly. Uh, you look at the exit below numbers. They're like in the top quarter of all major league baseball guys, but the expected slugging is down at 32%. Barrel percentage is like 12. So he just... He, he hit the ball with moderate exit velocity, didn't barrel it, hit it on the ground, and was so much worse in year three than years one and two, and year three was the first of five they're paying for. So until I see yeah. a discernible change, and until he has a position, and until I know where he even plays, he unfortunately makes this list for me. Yeah, he makes the list for odd reasons. Uh, I, I don't disagree with him being here. Um, I also think this year the core muscle injury was bothering him much longer than uh, he let on or the Yankees let on um, just because the beginning of his season was so uncharacteristic. Yeah. Um, I, I was, I expecting him to hit three thirty. No, but I wasn't expecting him to be dipping into the two sixties. That's kind of the other end of the spectrum for a hitter of his, uh, a contact hitter of his caliber. Um, but I think this is more on the Yankees' front office. Um, I think it's more just a bad luck situation. DJ LeMay, he was brought in to be exactly kind of what he's been relegated to now, if that's what the plan's going to be. He came in to be a bench utility guy who was going to help out the Yankees, not cost a whole lot of money, deliver that offensive pop, veteran leadership, very good glove, turns into a team MVP for a multitude of reasons. A, he's a good baseball player. B, he had a ton of protection in this lineup um, because when your leadoff, it's and then the pitcher staring down the barrel of the next three or four guys that are coming, you're going to, you know, it's, it's, you, you have a lot of, you have a lot of leeway there to, to make your mark as, as a hitter. Um, and he was a very aggressive hitter. So um, he attacked the pitches when he got them and he made the most of it. This is a problem. You know, it, it's bad luck because he performed so well in the Yankees. They had no choice after 2019, but to sign him. To this contract or uh, after 2020 to sign him to this contract mm-hmm. um there you couldn't not do it people would have been incredibly mad i know there is a small sect of yankees twitter who's like oh it's a ripoff dj lafraudster um yeah, i don't understand yeah i don't understand um he was he was he was the engine that made the offense go for two years um I, i'm not and you saw what happened when he was not good last year the offense took a major step back with sure. drunk guys Giancarlo Stanton and, and Aaron Judge had tremendous seasons. Um, and uh, everybody else was like solid, below, barely blow out. If DJ LeMayhew has it, he didn't even have to have a season that he had the last two years. All he would have to do is, you know, 290. And, and we're talking a much better situation, mm-hmm. uh, hitting more with runners in scoring position, like a little bit more than what he was doing. Um, but once again, I think this is on the front office. They had no choice. They extended it five years because of the luxury tax bullshit. Here we go again. Glaber Torres doesn't work out at short, which they have kind of alluded to us in the over the last few months that they never really thought it was going to work out at shortstop. So you have an experiment that flops, falls on its face. Then you have no choice but to move the 24-year-old back to second base because what are you going to do with the 24-year-old and who can only play one position? And then you have DJ LeMayu who can theoretically play three positions, but it's evident when he's stuck in the one position that he is most at home at, second base, he hits better, he plays better, and that's the end of the story. You're going to be ping-ponging him between first, third, and second when, when you know, when the, the times calls for it or when somebody's somebody needs a breather or someone's injured. Um, I don't know if that's the best idea. I don't know if we're going to see the best out of DJ LeMahieu because of how this role has essentially uh, um, progressed over the last year. Maybe they trade Glaber Torres when the lockout's over. I don't Keep know. Keep saying but, it. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Because you can't trade DJ at this point with, with that contract and uh, with how he performed this past season without, you know, having to sell low and the Yankees don't like selling low. So uh, this is less on DJ for me and more on the front office. Um, I, I, I'm confident he will rebound and this will 
potentially be a different story. But as of right now, you're staring down the barrel of what, four more years and 75 more million dollars yeah. or five more years and 75 million dollars. And you're just like, oh, dude, what are we going to do in year five? What are we going to do? Oh my God, it's a, it's a six year deal, isn't it? Yeah, it's six. Oh, yeah. I've, I've just mentally had it pocketed as five. That makes it even worse. Uh, I mean, it's fine. This this is, I, I would say, the only controversial part of this list. The rest is reminiscing over terrible times, which have either passed or are still affecting our lives today. This is the one that's up for grabs. I honestly, it's been so long since the season ended, and I rubbed the wild card loss out of my head as quickly as it came. I forgot he didn't even play in it. I forgot he got the core muscle surgery several like yeah. that he had already been knocked out for the season when that occurred. And that's why we were so yep. boned in part. I mean, he, he hits in the playoffs. He's hit with, in the playoffs with the Yankees. He didn't exactly lead the way in the 2020 ALDS the way he wanted him to, but still hit 273, 300 in the round before, 346 in the ALCS against the Astros, 286 in the round prior against Minnesota. Four great series with the Yankees. Does he change the trajectory of the wildcard game? No, he does not. I don't think uh, because the Yankees were doomed. Uh, from minute one in that horrible game. Uh, one of the worst I've ever watched. I literally checked out uh, about 15 minutes into the game. I know you did. I watched with you. We both did. It was just like, all right, you know, the good old days of having the good old days of having faith in, in what they're going to do are completely <laughs> over. Um, but DJ has a, a good chance, I would say, to get off this list by next year. Yeah. The other three people absolutely do not. And the number three spot, uh, it's crazy this is in the number three spot because honestly, this would be number one for any team, mm-hmm. I would say. It, you can't because you can't do worse. So the Yankees did worse twice. I have Kei Agawa in the number three spot. Um, Yankees paid Kei Agawa uh, over it, it was like twenty six million dollar posting fee, but it was twenty six million comma zero 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 comma one nine four because that was the number of strikeouts he'd thrown the year prior. Cute Yankees stuff, and then the five year twenty million dollar deal. Five year twenty million dollar deal on top of that. So five years, forty-six million. Yeah. Oh, and one ninety-four. <laughs> and one ninety-four. Yeah. Right. Um. And he comes to the Bronx in two thousand seven. And again, you're t- you're talking about we were kids for you know we were fifteen, sixteen for the Jarrett Wright Pavano thing. I mm-hmm. was sixteen when uh, we signed Kei Agawa entering the 07 season. I remember people and sixteen's not five. Like I feel like I should have had more information on this shit. <laughs> but I-, I remember people saying like, well, he's not you know because D- Dice K was happening. In Boston, I remember people saying, like, he's not Dice K. I mean, Dice K is otherworldly and ended up not being that great. But it was like Dice K is upper echelon elite. Um, he's not Hideo Nomo, but, like, you know, he's good. He's a three-starter. He's, he's, you know, he's a little older than these other guys. But, you know, interesting, good signing, valuable. Uh, I, yeah. Nobody, I don't know if I know, I mean, I didn't know this. I don't know if any of us knew this, but he was, like, so average in japan after winning the cy young and mvp in 2003 he had like high three eras the next two years got sent to the japanese minors in 2005 nobody told me that i don't remember that being part of the discourse he came over here and had one moment in the sun 2006 uh 2007 a game i was at where jeff karstens got his leg broken by the red Sox on a line drive in the first (laughs) inning oh god got through six back up uh, was brilliant. That was also the game where Melky Rob Manny of the home run left over the left field wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, incredible baseball game. Honestly, one of like five indelible moments I've had at the old stadium. Great relief appearance by Agawa. It was like six innings, two hits. He's on. He's on the right track. Uh, no, he was. That was it. That was. That was the end of. That was the end of K. Agawa. He finished that year, 2007, two and three, six point two five ERA, twelve starts, fourteen appearances. The next year, zero and one. 13.50 ERA, two games, one start. Other than that, the four years after 2007 were spent in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Brian Cashman offered him back to Japanese teams twice during that span. He said no both times. He he wanted to stay in Pennsylvania. Stayed in Scranton. Stayed in Scranton. Never came back up to the Yankees. A complete and uh, the only reason he's number three and not number one or two is one, because of the two names that are ahead of him. And two, yeah. because... He only ruined one major league season. It was a, it's a sunk cost, terrible expenditure. I wonder if he got a 09 World Series ring. It's actually worth asking. That's that's good. That's a good question. If we ever run into Brian Cashman, we could talk about Kei Agawa. But <laughs> he, he only ruined one season. We basically never saw him again. But what an absolutely pointless acquisition. And look, this is a 9.2 million AAV. Look, like that's that's significant. That's when money. Taking into account the that's significant for 15 years ago. For 16 years ago, where are we? Yeah, we're at 16 years now. 16 years ago, that's 9.2 million. You're talking, and we're talking about saving money 
we're pinching pennies on DJ LeMahieu to make sure he made 15 million a year to avoid the luxury tax threshold uh, last year. Like insane stuff. And Igawa just, I, I didn't know the, I didn't know any of that about his uh, kind of regression in Japan, the demotion to the minor leagues, no. but it's indicative, it's indicative of his MLB numbers, dude. 15 home runs in 71 and two thirds innings. That's terrible. He had a 1.76 whip in, in his 16 major league appearances. Shocking to me that he would rather is Japan. Not nice. Is Pennsylvania nicer than Japan? It can't be. It really can't be. But if he was so in Japan, if he was in Japan getting booed by the Japanese fans yeah, and demoted to been... the minors, it's like everywhere sucks. So I might as yeah. well just be comfortable in Scranton, PA. Go to New. I think he didn't he have like a New York pad or whatever. I remember there were stories like in 2010 or 2011 when the contract was almost up that were like he just drives to New York, he hangs out on the weekends, he comes back, he pitches not very well. Maybe he's a cool guy. Maybe he's just a cool guy that likes to do cool stuff and wanted to come to New York. And yeah. It's like, yeah, I'll just, I'll take whatever. So let me enjoy my time on, you know, in the greatest city in the world and we'll see what happens. That's another reason. I mean, uh, he does seem like a cool guy. That's why he's in the number three spot again behind the top two. I can't stress enough how much the number two and number one spots do not <laughs> seem like cool guys at all. <laughs> at all. <laughs> They're not. They they can't. The number be. the number two guy on and I honestly I will admit that I let personal feelings get in the way here. I'm angrier at the number two guy than the number one, and I think I always will. Be. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Number two guy Glansburg in high school for sure. <laughs> number two on the list, Carl Pavano, a part of the grand solution of the Jarrett Wright offseason. Um, mm-hmm. he is worth a deep dive if you have not thought about him in a while because everybody knows <sighs> Carl Pavano, one of the worst signings in Yankee history, not modern Yankee history, regular Yankee history. Mm-hmm. And it's not really communicated exactly how awful it is. So Carl Bovano in 2004 with the Marlins, fresh off beating the Yankees in the World Series in 2003. 2004, 18 and 8, 3 ERA, 222 and a third innings, 139 strikeouts, but that was never his game. Kept the ball on the ground. He, he dominated the NLE. He's a buzzsaw. Followed up, the, you know, he threw 201 innings in 2003. Followed that up with 222 and a third the next year durability king the yankees signed him for his age 29 season in 2005 he grew up in connecticut the red sox outbid the yankees here so did the tigers he said no he took the yankees offer which was just under 40 million dollars for four years again not the high the yankees didn't overpay here they didn't that wasn't the highest offer he wanted to be a yankee at some point thanks for showing up 2005 uh, starts off with 10 quality start, like seven quality starts out of 10 starts. I believe he's got like a three, two, nine ERA gets hurt, uh, hip issue, labrum, uh, whatever, some sort of shoulder barking nonsense. He, he never pitches again that year and, and comes back and he's terrible. 4.77 ERA in the year, 2005 standard year, just an injury. He got worse. 2005, a bad year leads to Sean Chacon and Aaron small and all that stuff. Randy Johnson's there. Weird season, just, you know, had a bummer of a first season. Started strong, got weaker, understood, got it. Let's come back fresh for 2006. Shows up at spring training as a bruised ass. <laughs> a bruised buttocks injury. Doesn't uh... pitch. Makes a couple rehab starts during the year, but he's just not there. He's not, he, he doesn't exist. He, he's making minor league appearances, not making major league appearances. The Yankees go to activate him in the middle of the summer, and he reveals actually sorry can't pitch i got myself in a car accident and i shattered my ribs forgot to tell the yankees didn't tell him that doesn't pitch the entire 2006 season before 07 there's a lot of quotes from the clubhouse mike messina is one of them saying he's got a lot to prove to us last year was not a good example didn't seem like he wanted to pitch was not truthful got to show us who he is 2007 he comes back two starts one and oh 4.76 era tommy john surgery immediately immediate tommy john Gets back in 2008, 4-2, and 5.77 seven starts. Clearly not right after Tommy John. Thanks so much, Carl Bavano. But here's what really gets me. Then he goes to Cleveland. Cleveland trades him to Minnesota. And from then on out, he is Mr. Revenge on the Yankees. Revenge for what, asshole? You <laughs> lied to the team about your injuries. You showed up and got hurt and never produced. What did the team do to you other than give you opportunity after opportunity, which you failed at every turn? And again, the only bit of shadiness in all four years is you failing to tell the team you got in a car crash, which is the easiest thing you can do. Call them up. Say, I got in a car crash. You know how we let people have sick days? 
how like when you work for a company, if you're like, I feel sick, then you're like, well, that great. Take a rest. Take a breather. Carl Bovano broke his ribs in a car accident, just told no one and then blamed it on the team. He basically, he almost shut out the Yankees and turned the 0-9 ALDS around. He went six shutout, took them out for the seventh up, one nothing. If A-Rod doesn't obliterate a ball to the baggie and Jorge Posada break the tie with the home run a couple seconds later, he's definitely dancing on our grades in the 2009 playoffs. 2010, he did it to us again. Every time we saw him for the rest of his career, he was great. And he was extra motivated with a chip on his shoulder. A chip for what purpose? I don't know. Some signing. Some some people just aren't Yankees. Some people just aren't. You know, what? Uh, it's Carl Pavano it, in those situations in Florida and Minnesota. Spotlight's a little bit different. The expectations with the Yankees contract that came with it. Uh, people can't handle it. But it seems like there was a lot of bad luck and for some reason neglect on his end. I don't understand any of that. Um, I don't know. And you look at this, dude. This is a wasted era of Yankees baseball. 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008, 05 to 07. This team's a contender. A-Rod mm-hmm. pounding the ball, 9.4 war in two of those three years. Chiming Wong, six war. Um, in 2006, they get to the ALDS. Those three years, they they take it to five one time. They lose the other two and four. If you have a guy like Carl Pavano performing to somewhat of expectations, not even, you know, not even having to be the workhorse of 200 plus innings, just, you know, be a guy who can go out there and give five, give five quality playoff innings. We're, you're looking at a different, you're looking at different outcomes for playoff series, dude. That's just all it is. So think about today. If we had, think about it through the lens. If you sign Garrett Cole and he sucked for the first four years of the contract while the offense was booming, you're like, great. We just wasted an era of Yankees baseball on a pitcher who we thought was going to deliver us what we needed and, Carl Pavano could be responsible for that because then it, it inhibited the Yankees from doing other things that they may have, they, 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 they might've been able to. Um, and that sucks, dude. I never really thought about it that deeply. Yeah. Never won a playoff series. And like, obviously the biggest thing about 2004 to me is that Andy Pettit was gone. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think they choked the Red Sox of Andy Pettit's there, but the repercussions of having that tired ass bullpen and Tom Gordon and Paul Quantrill every day, and running John Lieber out there behind Messina and Kevin Brown and Javier Vasquez as the Yankees try to patch that up in 05 with Jarrett Wright and Randy Johnson and Carl Pavano. And, and it's, that's the biggest – Randy Johnson's the biggest win out of the three, mm-hmm. and he was awful one year, passable the next, and then gone. Um, not winning a playoff series from 05 to 07 and not even really competing in a playoff series from 05 to 07 is insane. Yeah. Um, oh, oh, five, they got out maneuvered by the angels in a five game series. The angels always beat them understood. Oh, six, again, just extremely depressing. They didn't even show up against the tigers and the tigers were like an 84 win team or something. Um, actually they might've inched over 90, but they barely won the central. Um, and they didn't even, Yankees didn't even show up. Kenny Rogers and Carl Bavano blood brothers. Kenny Rogers, another former sucky Yankee <laughs> who just absolutely dominates and knocks them out of the postseason when he gets the chance. A rod again, bats eighth. In one of those Jeremy games. Bonderman beat Jarrett Wright in the in the, in the clinching game. Yeah, yeah, yes, he did. Yes, he that certainly did do shit, that, man. Um, I went to. I, I remember going to a Mets playoff game on one of the days after the Yankees had won a game in that series and being like, "Great, they're up one zero, fantastic!" And back in the high school days when you'd be at school on the day playoff games would be happening, the like one o'clock games, um, and that series turned on a dime and. They 07 was different. They got ripped off by the midges, but yeah. they certainly got destroyed in the first game that series before the midges ever happened. Yep. Uh, but also Andy Pettit came back. So that's why 07 looked different. 05 and 06 are, are the disaster years where it's like, what, what were we even thinking? What, what were any of those, uh, you know, signings? And that does bring us to the last one, the cautionary tale for all those Yankee fans who want to get back in the pool as soon as the lockout is over. Number one is obviously Jacoby Ellis. Duh. Um, the one thing I'll say about Jacoby Ellsbury, and honestly, we don't even have to say that much about Jacoby Ellsbury after revealing him as the number one on this list. He's the only person on this list who sued the Yankees. <laughs> MLBPA grievance got him his money. And congratulations, because I this is clear number one on my list because the Yankees come out looking horrible in this too. Pay the man his money. I don't know if he got outside medical care during 2018 to 2019. I don't really care, but the Yankees, after four years of Jacoby Ellsbury, sent him to Siberia. We never saw him again. There's a seven-year deal, $153 million. A punking of the Red Sox that a lot of people had questions about. It felt like Johnny Damon 2.0. 2014, nobody watched the Yankees, but he had a 111 OPS plus. Actually, it was okay. Next three years, 
played in 110 games, two of those years, 148 in one of them, below average offensively in all three, but not quite as heinous as you remember, just sort of dinky, not a winning player anymore. You thought he might be able to take advantage of the short porch, hit 20 bombs a year here when he was hitting nine or 10 at Fenway. Never did that. Hit 16 his first year, and then it was like nine, seven, six. Um, you know, not horrible during years two, three, and four, but just didn't feel like a winning player. Felt like a guy taking up the space to somebody who would do his job better. And then obviously a million injuries, some labrum stuff, uh, some foot stuff, plantar fasciitis, shoulder, bum shoulder. And he just literally was sent off the face of the earth. So I don't know if he got outside medical care or not. All I know is he made it to year four of his seven-year deal in pinstripes. The last two were spent absolutely in nowhere land and the seventh uh, ended up in a lawsuit. So that's how you get to number one on this list. You make everybody look bad and you don't deliver. Yeah. Seven years, 153 million, almost 22 million AAV. Why is this egregious? Um, look, we get on the Yankees for not spending here. They spent, we know, we know how it goes. You get mad when they spend and it's wrong and you get mad when they don't spend and you think they should have. Um, <clears throat> I'm not saying people were right or wrong here, but the feelings around Jacoby Ellsbury at the time of the signing was kind of like, why are you doing this? Like, this seems like a guy who's just like, there are, there are players who only succeed in Boston. There just are. It, yeah. Trot Nixon. Trot Nixon would have never succeeded anywhere else. I don't even remember if he went anywhere else, but if he did, he probably wasn't good. Nick Foles in Philadelphia. Nick Foles cannot be employed anywhere else except for the Philadelphia mm-hmm. Eagles. Don't understand why. That's just the way it is. That's what we have to live don't with. Jacoby Ellsbury was a little bit different. Five-tool player. I do get it. However, this is a guy who predicated his entire game on you know, being a menace in the base paths, covering a ton of ground in the outfield, um, getting on base with his speed, obviously, and hitting for contact. I don't know if it's smart to sign a 30-year-old to a seven-year contract when all of those traits just scientifically and biologically go downhill. You get slower as you get older. You do not. So I've heard it. <laughs> so, so I've lived it. Uh, you the averages typically as a contact hitter go down as you get older. It's ju- it's just what happens. If anything, you know, you could sustain power as as you age. Typically, you're not gonna you know you're not gonna be hitting 300 into your mid 30s. It's um, just not really the way it goes. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong at any point in MLB history. I'll be happy to I'll be happy to address it. Um, but in the modern day game, the drop offs are quick and the drop offs happen. And for a 30, they, they sign him for his age 30 season. For seven years, absolutely ridiculous. And then they make themselves a laughing stock at the end of this deal. They excommunicate him Tony Soprano style. You never see him again. He's probably hanging out in the woods, uh, trying to avoid the uh, the physical therapist that I guess that I guess that got thrown under the bus. And now the Yankees are after. Um, yeah, and- the Pine Barrens. <laughs> Tony B hiding in the hiding in the cabin. Um, and then they try to void his contract because of that. And it's like, dude, like. You just fucked up here, man. You gave him $153 million. It was way too inflated of a deal. Of course he's going to take it. I remember that day, but I also remember Red Sox fans doing this all the time. It's like they have a player leave, and then automatically they don't care about that player and that player. Oh, you ever paid for that player? How'd you? Oh, <laughs> good luck with him, idiot. It's like mm-hmm. it's a baseball player, dude. I signed him to a contract. He's going to play for me. Like, I don't know. What's the problem? Um, but this guy clearly, they, they whatever they saw, I don't know if they were just being trolls or not, they clearly might have saw something. And the, I think the age factor here, and uh, like you kind of mentioned, didn't really have that many great seasons in Boston. 88 OPS plus, 98 OPS plus, 146 OPS plus, which was a career year, 84 Insane. OPS plus. And then he had the 113 OPS plus in the contract year, stole 52 bags, which is awesome, but still OPS under 781 every single year, except for... Uh, 2011, when he was his his lone All Star season, hit 32 bombs. Don't even have any idea how that happened. His next career high was 16, and then he never eclipsed nine after that. 105 RBIs, 39 stolen bases, 928 OPS. Uh, th- led the league in total bases with 364. Absolutely, and one Gold Glove. So, like, if you're signing him to be a tremendous defender, uh, otherworldly defender, and some guy who's going to steal bags for you for years to come. You just don't do that on a seven-year deal with somebody entering age 30. Bad business, bad move. And it was bad. 
It was bad. And of course, the Red Sox brought him out of, of hiding this year for the Dustin Pedroia mm-hmm. retirement ceremony against the Yankees. Uh, probably the single worst moment of the season just because it felt like it totally galvanized that team. It was extremely embarrassing for us, as always. But if we had brought out like Johnny Damon for some Red Sox ceremony, the Red Sox would be like, who cares? Drunk Johnny Damon? Beating us anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny Damon is just in the stadium. You don't actually have to <laughs> alert him or bring, they're like, you just got to wake him up for the ceremony. <laughs> uh-huh, We're doing a. <laughs> We're doing a drag race? No, Johnny. It's a baseball ceremony. Um, that is the whole list, folks. And that is it for this edition of the Yanks Go Yard podcast. While the MLBPA continues to make absolutely zero progress with ownership, we continue to progress on all offseason long. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us those five-star reviews. Drop us those mailbag questions. We'll be more than happy to answer them and join us live on YouTube. Two o'clock Eastern time, Mondays and Thursdays. Until next time, I'm Adam Weiner. You can find me on Twitter. At Adam Weiner, if Thomas Carinante, where can the people find you? At Tommy's underscore takes. Uh, folks, I know we talked about wasting money, worse contracts. Value yourself, though. Get all the money you can get. You deserve all of it. It's fun. It's good. We're here to make money. Good times. Um, take a look at yanksgoyard.com. We got plenty of content there for you. Uh, this article is actually going up. You can read more in depth what Adam wrote um, in a day or two. Um, talk to us on the official Yanks Go Yard podcast, uh, Twitter account. You can also talk to us on the podcast. Come into the live Yeah, come chat. on the podcast. But- Why not? On the Twitter account, at YanksYourGuardFS, we're there. We're posting articles. We're talking to people. We're engaging. Want to hear more from you. Want to improve the discourse. And that's pretty much it. So enjoy the rest of your weekend. NFL wildcard weekend. It'll be a good time. We got that extra Monday night game on Martin Luther King Day. Holy hell. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. Well, we won't talk to you on Monday, actually, because it's National Hall. Or maybe we will. I don't know. I think we'll decide we'll on that. Yeah. yeah, we'll see if anything relevant happens. If not, maybe we have another list to talk about somebody earning money that they shouldn't have. We'll pop it in there. We'll figure it out. But if we don't see you on Monday, if not, we'll figure out some reconfiguration next week. We'll talk to you two times, definitely on Thursday at 2 p.m. Um, and enjoy the next three days, everyone. Take care. Yep. Goodbye, everybody. Go book. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.